I'd rather be in a deep dark grave and know that my Welcome to this edition of Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth podcast. I want to get right into our message today entitled Festival. Text is in John chapter 2, 13 through 17. And the Jews' Passover was hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples then remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. If we Christians would be totally honest with ourselves, we would have to admit much the regret I suppose, of our carnal nature, that most of what goes on in the church world of our day is not of God and was never brought into being by his Holy Spirit. And so much is to do about nothing. Therefore, absolutely is absolutely no benefit to the kingdom of God. These things are what I call extra non-biblical activities, which has as their origin the hearts of men inspired by the cunning, deceptive work of one that for now I will call fast devil. There are only two forces at work in this earth, the spirit of God and the prince of darkness, Satan himself. And he and his cohorts are busy doing everything they can to make the church impotent and ineffective for the kingdom of God. Now I've titled this message Festival. I'm going to explain that to you in a few minutes. Another name probably I could have titled it and would have been just as effective, and that's the word fast devil. Now hold these two words in your mind for a little while, the word festival and the phrase and fast devil. And at the conclusion of this message, I will tell you the significance of these two phrases or words. The text that we just read to you is one of many that Christians just seem to glance at and never seem to get the great truths there because of their worldly mindedness. Let us try and see the truth in these words of our Lord Jesus. The Lord saw what was at work here in the temple and what one day would be a well-laid trap of Satan's that would greatly ensnare his church. Now the same method Satan has used to ensnare the church in America is the same message that he used a long time ago in the temple. The method of guns, bombs, torture, burning at the stake, all of these to try to destroy the church always have seemed to have made the church grow spiritually and physically and not the other way around. But in these last days, especially here in America, Satan has changed his tactics. His weapon of choice is now deception to try and get a foothold in the church, and he has been very successful. 
You don't see preachers in America in jail or tortured for their stance of faith and the gospel, but you do see many of them held in a prison called deception. Just look around you at the church world today and you will clearly see the fruits of that deception at work. Let me relate to you a little story to give you some idea how Satan weaves so innocent a looking net to deceive the modern day church in America. There came a time when Satan called all of his generals together to help him devise a scheme by which he might gain more converts with which to stock his hell. He promised to confer a great prize on the one that could come up with the cleverest scheme of deception, and that prize would be the, de the coveted title, Fast Devil. So all the devils in hell and in earth set about to come up with the greatest schemes imaginable, one that would make the church ineffective and at the same time win the most converts to Satan. After a period of time, they all reported back again before Satan's throne, each one eager to win the coveted title, Fast Devil. After hearing many suggestions on how best to stop the church's progress spiritually and win many souls for Satan, at last one huge devil toward the back of the room stood up, anxious to set forth his scheme, and he was given permission to speak. This devil stood taller than any of the others in the room. He seemed to be seven times higher than the height of a man, with sinews like an iron rope and a face that defied human description. His eyes was filled with fiery determination. He stepped forward to speak. Most honored chief and glorious master, he began, I have taxed my ingenuity to its utmost. And with striking gestures of his mighty arms, he passionately continued. I can see empires within our reach. We have but to look up to see the great resplendent regions beyond and of the masses that we can control. With an outward swing of his great right arm, he asked in strong appealing tones, how can we best succeed against the church and which our enemy glories so unceasingly? What inroads can we make into his church? What manner shall we advance against it? Then he vigorously seized a book. Here's a Bible I borrowed from a saint. I have turned its pages over and over that I might learn what was it that could cause pain to the heart of Christ most grievously. What was it that vexed his inmost soul with indignation? What was it that caused his anger to rise like nothing else could? Now the preacher and me would like to stop here for just a moment with my story of fast devil and preach to you these words, which just what was it that vexed Christ to the point of this kind of anger? We look at his life, his characteristics. We never think or talk much about this characteristic of Christ called anger. Maybe it's because we don't feel that it is fitting to one so holy, so we hush up with this word. But when we search the word of God in the Hebrew and Greek with verse 17 of our text, we see the picture. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Psalm 69 and 9. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. 
In the Hebrew, the word eaten means to burn up or to consume. Literally, the zeal of thine house, Christ said, hath consumed me. Psalms 119 and verse 139 says, My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy word. In the Greek, it means to devour. So let's read it like this. The zeal of thine or over thine house hath burned me up, consumed me, devoured me. Christ was so overcome with the sight he saw in the holy temple that this is the effect that it had on the man Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, the word zeal means so provoked, so moved with jealousy. In the New Testament, it was it has a stronger meaning. The word in the Greek means boiling as a liquid, boiling hot anger, more than one can contain. The idea here is as the jealousy of a husband for his wife violated by another man. And we know how violent that can be. There's a hint of what it's like in the book of Proverbs. Now look with me, if you would, for a moment at these verses in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 through 35. It says, but whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and a dishonor shall he get. And notice this verse, last part of this verse, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Notice his reproach shall not be wiped away. Literally, when you think of that person who has so violated the law of God, especially a preacher, you will always remember his sin first, forgiven or not. It will be there anytime his name is mentioned. One first, one's first thought will be this grievous sin as your mind automatically draws a mental picture. The Bible says you can't get away from it. And then the scripture goes on to say, for jealousy is the, is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Proverbs 6 32 through 35 is these scriptures. Here this is saying the violated wife's husband will be so angry. He will look for you to kill you. No amount of money will appease him. Nothing. All that will satisfy him is your blood. So the moral of this is preacher. If you are thinking about another man's wife, beware of his gun. But in this verse, the Greek is careful to let us know it is not a husband here. The husband is a type. But what it is, is a play here is a jealousy for God. An exclamation of what Christ, the anger that was in Christ when he saw. He was jealous for the house of his father. And he said, this zeal, thy zeal for thine house, father, has eaten me up. This zeal should be one all Christians have for the things of God. All of this is to illustrate the anger of Christ that he had that day for his father's house. The Bible said he became angry to the point he made a whip. Now I have looked at the word scourge in the Hebrew and Greek, and they all mean the same. A whip, a scourging instrument, a flogging tool. 
The Bible said Christ made a scourge. He proceeded then to turn over their tables, to throw their stuff all over the place. He took their money boxes and flung their coins all over the temple floor. Then angrily shouting, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. He drove them out of the temple. We see in Christ a righteous indignation, a vexing like nothing else. This is what the big devil was saying to us. Not even the most wicked sins of men, the failures of his disciples, the taunting of the Pharisees and their continual persecution ever drove Christ the man to the point that the idea of his father's house being turned into a house of merchandise did to him. Psalm 69 and 9, John 2, 17, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Some of you listening to me already know where I'm going with this. Let us now go back to our story. What was it? Continued the huge devil as he ferociously interrogated the crowd. What was it? He exclaimed as he flung the book to the scorching winds of hell. And he proudly proclaimed the answer was that which hindered the cause of Christ most efficiently was prostituting the house of God to worldly purposes. We have forgotten, this vile demon goes on to say, the vehemence with which this arch enemy of ours, referring to the Lord Jesus, drove the money kings from the temple, his sacred abode, saying unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves, Matthew 21, 13. And how we sneaking cowards crawled away and thus our glorious scheme of bringing the world into the temple went by default. While all these years, the church's weapons continued to defeat us. But now he says, I'll introduce you to my scheme. I propose the reintroducing of the prostituting of the house of God to worldly purposes again. After all, the church is ready now, I think, for the change. We no longer need weapons, torture, or mass killings. We'll just change our dress, put on sheep's clothing of the finest wool. Thus, who among the church can tell we are not seeking their highest good? So we will offer again the thing that we offered in the temple, prostituting the house of God. We must be very careful how we introduce this, though. It must be seen as the greater good. But its purpose is to strike at the heart of the voluntary love offering in the church. With our scheme, we will kill the spirit that gives, that sacrifices. We will drag the voluntary love offerings, dead carcass unburied through the church for ages. And the germs of disease arising from it will kill more will bring more death to the ranks of our foes than all of our weapons of warfare ever did. We will disguise our scheme with a term more acceptable and we'll, and we'll introduce into the church the idea of the innocent festival. This will be very helpful and it will draw, do away with the spirit of a volunteer love offering. And they can get their money to run the church from the world. And another marvelous thing that it will do, it will begin to silence the voice of the church against the vices of the world. 
Matter of fact, in time, they will see no difference between themselves and that world. Again, let me stop here and be the preacher for just a moment. When the de what the devil has done today to many of the preachers is not to close their mouths altogether. No, he didn't do that. But he has ever so gently and quietly attached a filter to it. He does not stop all their preaching, but just that what he wants to filter out. He wants them to go on with their soft, easy lifestyles, money coming in, vacations, all the good things. The preacher, therefore, will be careful what he preaches so as not to offend the best givers. And preaching against the worldly things will surely have to go. The scripture says in Proverbs 17 and 23, a wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. That wicked man is Satan. That gift is prosperity to the preachers. And that judgment is to pervert the preaching of the gospel. Satan has given many a gift to pervert the preaching. Now one day the preacher may wake up and realize who is behind this fielder in his mouth. And he may even want to extricate it, but that will not be so easy. For the longer it is there, it will attach itself. It will put down roots like a cancer that has metastasized. And then it will make, take major surgery to get rid of it. And many months of spiritual chemotherapy. There will be much suffering, my preacher fan, to get rid of that filter in your mouth if you let it take root. Now, let us continue with the words of the huge devil. Now, what better way to convince the church to defray her expenses while all along engaging in some innocent forms of merchandising? Oh, yes, we will throw in some gaiety also so she does not get bored. You know, punch and sandwiches and popcorn and, and games and activities. She will gladly want to use our novel scheme. After all, her greedy preachers in their quest for wealth has preached to them that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just, Proverbs 13, 22. Oh, what a scheme this is. That will be the church's most quoted and favorite scripture to decoy money from her admirers. And we will convince the church that it will maintain its honor before the world. And our master Satan will be most pleased if only the old way of voluntary giving is more and more discarded by the church. Now let's turn from our story's ending. We have seen so well how Satan's schemes have worked in this modern American church. How to strip the church of her voluntary love offerings. Satan has struck at the heart of Christ again with modern day money changers in the church same as in the temple in his day. There's nothing else on record in the whole word of God that we can find that is so moved and angered Christ outside of standing at the tomb of Lazarus and being angry with death as when he came into the temple and saw the money changers. And many today sadly have bought this scheme of Satan from the modern day wolves in sheep's clothing. This idea of prostituting the house of God to worldly purposes. This covers all the worldly activities. 
that we brought into the church. But it hits most at the idea of using the world's means to raise money. And we call it a festival. We have used every means possible to get the world's money to run the church. And therefore we have prostituted ourselves in the eyes of that world. And they have no respect for this church world today. And pay it very little mind. Why down the street from where I live there's a church. It has a marquee out on the expressway here in the bypass in Beaumont. And out on that marquee and on that church out there. It is put on their sign. Don't just drive by. Come in and visit us. At the church, what that means is the church is just, uh, the world is driving by. They don't pay no attention to the church today. Those of you who are serious about serving God had better heed, heed the warning of this message. Countless numbers of chickens have had to give their lives for churches to be built because people wouldn't give. Countless rummage sales, some even held inside the church building to pay the bills of the church because people wouldn't pay the tithes. And tons of peanut brittle has been sold to the world for, the, for those people to put on their programs and pay for their buildings. And as the world went down the road eating their peanut brittle, laughing on their breasts, saying, well, they do make good peanut brittle. But let's look at the text a little closer and see just what is going on. Christ had just previously to this performed his first miracle of turning the water into wine. This was the beginning of his ministry. And now the scripture says he went down to Capernaum and continued there a few days. Then later on in that same chapter of John, we have now these words. John chapter 2 verse 13. And the Jews Passover was at hand. This is our opening scene now. Jesus went up to Jerusalem to observe the Passover as required by law. Notice the writer John here uses the words, the Jews Passover. But it was originally the Lord's Passover. In the book of Exodus 12, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, it is called the Lord's Passover. So what has happened? Why the name change? But by the time Christ was born, the Passover celebration had so degenerated in such a mockery by commercializing it the selling of animals and the change in the money in the temple. It was so desecrated by the people that day that the Holy Spirit refused to call it anymore the Lord's Passover. And so the writer John was moved by the Holy Spirit to write these words, the Jews Passover. God wouldn't even have anything else to do with. They were going through the same motions. They were offering the sacrifices, but this thing was a disgrace it was a national disgrace until the Holy Spirit wouldn't even let John write the Jews pass of the wouldn't even let him write the Lord's Passover, but he wrote the Jews Passover. Now, some teach that John used this term because it was a Jewish Passover. But anyone who knows the Passover knows it is unique to the Jews only. And besides, they were known more as Israelites than Jews. That was a name that came later. And again, we see the commandments of God, as the scripture tells us, is nullified by the traditions of men. This is a scene that you have. The commandments of God have been done away with by the traditions and the activities of man. Jesus said, making the word of God of none effect. To, he said to those Pharisees, you make it of none effect 
through your traditions, Mark 7 and 13. Psalms 119 verses 126 says, they have made void thy law. According to the historian Josephus, who lived about 37 to 100 AD, 256,500 animals were sacrificed each Passover. So the market must have been great that day. The priests sold license to the vendors. See, they, they made money on the side. So this profanation must have been a large source of revenue for the greedy priest. When we look at the scriptures, it is hard for us with these few words to conceive just what was going on here. What an awful scene this must have been. What a modern day circus and carnival atmosphere this desecration of the house of God looked like. Kind of like the carnival atmosphere that's in many of the churches today that are desecrating so-called houses of God. Look at what was going on. 256,500 sacrifices, the noise of the buying and the selling, the bartering that was going on, all the time the priests making a huge profit. Look at all the animals everywhere, animals, animals. The sellers, those dealers were very unpopular because they're extortions. They extorted the people. The money changers were there because money was, uh, uh, foreign coins was not allowed to be used in the in the in the in the Passover on the buying the animal sacrifices and giving and all these things. And so with people coming from all over, they was there to exchange the 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 money that they were allowed to use for the foreign money. And these men charged terrible prices of interest to change the money. These were bankers, money changers. They were also conscious that what they were doing was profaning the temple and violating the law. Notice our text says when Jesus got there, went in, he found in the temple. He found in the temple. This was what was going on in the temple. And this is what Christ faced as he began his ministry. Now, one must understand the temple. This was the temple that was built in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. After the Babylonian captivity, it was also called Herod's temple because of the extensive work of renovation that Herod had done on it. This temple is everything inside the courtyards. When you think of the temple, it's not just a building, but the entire courtyards, the whole boundary about the size of a football field. We're not talking about now here when we talk about the temple, the holy place or the holies of holies. No one but the Levites were allowed in there. Not even Christ Jesus himself was allowed or ever entered these two places for they were forbidden by God to any but the Levites and Christ was from the tribe of Judah. So everything that's going on is outside of the holy place, the holies of holies and the area where the sacrifices are offered on the brazen altar. But all the rest inside the walls, as he went through those outer gates into the temple, the whole area there was called the temple. So all this scene before us in scripture was in the temple at large, but still the temple. There was much to the temple, outer courts, inner courts, places of the altar and the labor, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of the men, the court of the money changers, so on and so forth. There was there was rooms where the 
where the garments were kept for the priests as they changed them. There was rooms there for the for the uh, utensils that was used in the sacrifice. So you see, the temple was bigger than just the the buildings of the holy place and the most holy, but it was still all the temple. Jesus on England in the temple finds himself in the midst of these grotesque sights and sounds. The sight and smell of a livestock market. The loud and eager exclamations of the competing retailers. Hey, I got one cheaper. Hey, come over here and buy from me. Hey, I got some bargains today, two for the price of one. The bustling of selecting one animal out of the flock. The loud talk and laughter of the idle groups of onlookers. Jesus simply could not stand it. This is what happened. The zeal for the honor of his father's house so possessed him. The temple claims him as its vindicator from abuse. The temple is crying out, cleanse me, vindicate me from this terrible mess and profanity against God. Now he was the appropriate authority for he was the Messiah. But with some cords lying about, he quickly knots together a formidable scourge and silently leaving the public with its conscience to justify his actions, he proceeded single-handedly to drive out the cattle and sellers together. One could see the rushing of the owners trying to preserve their property, the money changers holding their tables as Jesus went from one to another, upsetting them. The scattered coins flying, the threatening of the scourge whip, and above all this, the commanding voice of the strangers from Galilee. Why have you made my father's house a house of merchandise? Why have you made it a den of thieves? My father's house is to be called a house of prayer. Remember, this was no small storybook scene, but a huge endless mob of events. He came in suddenly and cleansed the temple. They were not expecting this. All of a sudden, this man from Galilee took this whip and began to turn over the tables. The whole place became in an uproar. They were not expecting this, but it was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. This was not their temple. This was Christ's temple. It is. It was his the Bible said, behold, I send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. He shall prepare the way before me. He's talking about the Lord and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Malachi chapter three, verse one prophesied of this day a long time before it happened. This was Christ's temple. Christ came to his temple. The Lord suddenly came to his temple. I'd like to ask you today, is our church buildings God's house or they our house? If you say they are God's house, then I ask you, why do you do the things in them that you do? Where is your respect? Why do you let your children live like a bunch of pigs and animals in the church house? Why do you let them play if it's God's house? Surely if Christ come today and saw the the travolity that went on and the goof off that went on in the houses of so-called houses of God today, he would be just like he was in the temple. They at first must have thought him mad. What's the big deal? We're doing a service here. Those money changers Jesus encountered in the temple were a religious crowd. They reasoned, we're only selling the sacrifices for the temple use. 
So what if the animals mess up the temple for? That's no big deal. It can be cleaned up. Remember, Jesus called it a den of thieves. Would he call your church today, preacher, a den of thieves? Would he call the things you allowed to go on that a den of thieves? This was the first cleansing of the temple by Christ. There was one other time. What would he do if he saw such desecration in the so-called church houses of us today? What the Bible says gives us a picture of the Lord Jesus at his most angry moment as the son of God, the son of man, like the money changers and the merchants in the temple. Is this what we hear today? Bring all your old clothes. Bring all your old pieces of furniture to the church. Tell all your worldly friends, we're having a sale in the temple. We're raising money for missions. We need a new roof on the church. So we're selling these chicken dinners. We're going to bake these cakes and pies, and we're going to auction them off to raise money for missions. The point here is it is done in the name of the church and the world jokes. Church, don't you hear the words of Christ today? My father's house is to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a house of merchandising. Much buying and selling, very little or no prayer. First, the whole scheme of Satan that he introduced into the church was not just to get the church to buy and sell merchandise. No, it was bigger than that. It was designed to weaken the church in the eyes of the world. And when the church becomes weak, it loses its effects on the world. What kind of effect, sir, is your church having on your community? Secondly, he wanted to destroy the spirit of giving that comes from the heart. It's not the large sums of money that was thrown into the treasure in the temple that day that Jesus took note of. It was the widow's might. Now, with carnal man, it's the big offerings he sees and raves over. Here, hers was the biggest gift in Christ's eyes because it came out of her need. She gave, said Christ, of her substance. It was her living. She gave from a perfect heart. The others gave from their abundance. If Satan could destroy the spirit of the free will offering from the heart and the love that gives it to God and remove it from the church like our story says, he would drag this thing through the church for generations. This dead carcass of the dead voluntary love giving to God. I wonder how much the tithe and offering would dry up in the church if the government removed the tax status. That's why uh, most give anyway. But don't worry, that's not very likely to happen. For you see, the politicians, they're religious too, just like you, even though they're the biggest liars in the world. They like the tax write-offs too. Satan was striking at the heart of Christ through the church to weaken the church so it is no longer effective against his dark kingdom. And so we see today that our church world is a church that is given wholly to money. It's big business, finances. It's paying salaries to church employees to keep books and to manage all the money. Why we boast of our great income collected each year, millions. This is where we have come to today to see the huge devil scheme works quite well. Satan is very proud of him. It's working well in today's modern church. <clears throat> oh yes, I told you, I would explain to you the title of my message, Festival or the other title, Fast Devil. You see, the name of this demon scheme was Festival. And that's what is used by the church today. You know, Festival, Church Festival, 
Harvest Festival, Christmas Festival, Festivals, Festivals, Festivals. It's where a church puts on a festival and displays their wares for sale. Their arts and crafts, their pies, their cakes, their chicken dinners. Oh, they put on a little music, lots of gaiety. And the world comes out to play their games and to buy their wares so that the world can help the church reach their mission goals or put the roof on the other or other additions or whatever they want to do. So the name today is not church suppers or garage sales, but it's a new approach that is most dignified. For you see, we're fiercely proud, the church of today, that is. Now, how did the huge devil come up with the name festival for the church to use? It was just a simple process of development. You remember the prize for this scheme. The winner would be called Fast Devil. So with a little development of, of the phrase, here is how it was done. Picture with me now in your mind the words fast devil. Two words. Now change the A in fast to E. Making it fest. And drop the letters D from the word devil. Now you have the words fest and evil. E-V-I-L. Now merge the two words together and you have this one word, fest evil. Now, says Satan, with a little more ingenuity, a little more maneuvering of the letters, you now have the word festival. After all, it was fast devil's scheme. Good day. If you would like a copy of this message or want to know more about this podcast, the email address is lawrence.register at yahoo.com. What good is gold and silver too? If your heart not pure and true, oh sinners here.